This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello everyone, the Hockey News Podcast returns. Matt Larkin here with my fellow senior writers Ken Campbell on the left, Ryan Kennedy on the right, and we are resuming our season previews for 2019-20. Last week we did the Atlantic Division. We're going to move on to the Central now. We're keeping the same format, fellas, so we're going to talk about the predicted standings and burning questions for each team. So we're going to start at the top with our predicted first place team in the Central. That is the Nashville Predators, And I don't know about you guys, but I feel like Nashville's a team, like, you know, we just know that they're safe, but I'm not overly excited about them. Um, but let's start with goaltending. Do we think that we're going to start seeing the transition from Pecorine to UC Saros and closer to a 50-50 <coughs> split and starts this year? I think it's going to go in that direction, but I don't know about 50-50 just yet. I could see maybe a... 55-45 or maybe even 60-40 because, I mean, Rene's still a pretty good netminder and you are in your window. Saros, it, he's the exception to the rule for me as a smaller goaltender in the NHL. Like, he does get the job done and we've seen some really good hockey out of him and we know that in the next couple of years, Rene is going to edge towards retirement and the Preds are going to have to lean on Saros but they had that luxury where Rene is still playing pretty well and Saros is still on his way up. So I, I think I would like to see maybe a 55-45 for Rene, and then maybe next year it's 50-50 or flipped. Yeah, I think I think the answer to this question will be in in Pekka Rene and how he plays. You know, I, I think I think you're going to default to Pekka Rene as your number one goaltender still. Um, and if he carries the ball and and is the Pecorini that we've seen in previous years, I don't see this you know this this even split. I still see him carrying the load because, I mean, even when you're the Nashville Predators and you're that good, which they are, they're they're a good team, but they're in the toughest division in the NHL and there are no gimme games. There's not a single one. Like you can't even count on being able to beat the Ottawa Senators or LA Kings. Like you can't. And so I think that. If he shows what he's shown, you know, historically over the course of his career, I, I still think he's going to be their their go-to guy. Uh, but if he doesn't, then they're in a, in as good a situation as they could be in because they've got a guy who can who can pick that up. It's funny you mentioned too, Ken, how tough the Central is because wait, if you keep listening, everyone, wait till you see where we have St. Louis, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh-huh. It's just a product of how tough the Central is. The thing about Pecorine that I think some people missed is last year, I, I think a lot of people thought that the transition was coming because the year before, Rene, even though he won the Vezina, he got chased in the playoffs, pulled multiple times in that Winnipeg series. But he actually outplayed UC Saros last year. Year. Mm-hmm. Like it's no longer oh Saros is on a per game basis playing better. No, Rene was better than Saros last year. Still have the playoff, you know, the questions about Rene in the playoffs, but in terms of the regular season, I don't think this is going to be the year that we see the change, especially because central division teams more than any other teams have very tough travel schedules because you're sort of in that tweener time zone yeah. where almost every road trip you're taking against I guess 23 other teams, you're changing time zones. Yeah. So I think you you see a lot of central teams that need to split time with their goalies more. So I don't I don't see, you know, Sarah UC Saros taking over, best case scenario would be 50-50, but I don't know. I, I think it's still going to be Rene. Uh, one thing we always say about the Predators is that they don't have a number one center. They did pay a lot of money, $9 million a year for Matt Duchesne. They essentially traded P.K. Subban for Matt Duchesne, but I don't know. I, I still feel like they don't have a true 
bell cow number one center. I'm talking like, you know, Andre Kopitar in his prime yeah. type of center. Um, what do you guys think? Are, are they okay at center? I think they're okay at center. I think Matt Duchesne is and should and better be their number one center. Um, he, in uh, at the uh, NHL pre-media tour, preseason media tour, he was talking about that. And he was, you know, I, I asked him about that. And he was like, well, let's get one thing straight here. You know, Ryan Johansson's the number one center on this team. Well... You know, Ryan Johansson had 14 goals last year. Okay, mm. so no, he's not. No, he's not. He's, he's been. Not, he's had that job. He's but, not productive. Right. He's not productive enough to be a number one center. He's just not. And so, uh, I think it has to be Matt Duchesne. And I, I, you know, I mean, then you've got then then you fall in with Johansson and Turris, which is a pretty good one A, one B, and two uh, sort of thing. But but I I do think that 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 um, Matt Duchesne is going to be their number one center when it's all said and done. And that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty decent. And the thing about Nashville is that their defense core is so good that they don't need to have the same structure up front as, as other teams. Like, you think about dangerous Preds forwards, and it's kind of like Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson, and then uh, that's kind of it until you bring in Matt Duchesne. But I almost see them as kind of like Carolina, where Sebastian Ajo might not be the traditional big number one center, but he played well enough and put up some pretty nice numbers yep. last year. Yep. He got the Hurricanes to the playoffs. Now, you know, the Hurricanes, they have some nice forwards, but they also have an incredible defense core, uh, and they got enough goaltending that they got into the playoffs. Nashville like, kind of feels like a bigger, more advanced version of the Hurricanes, where can they contend for a Stanley Cup with this lineup? Well, it depends on how good Matt Duchesne is. And, you know, and as you are saying, Ken, like Ryan Johansson, if he's playing a slightly different role, does that unlock something in him that can help the Predators in the long run? That's kind of the little chemistry experiment you have here. So yeah. I, I don't think we can give an answer right now. But what we do see is a team that has weapons at all positions and is worthy of number one in a division that has a lot of candidates. Well, with Johansson, it's not the role as much as the matchups, right? Right. Yeah, so now you're going to see Duchesne take on those tough matchups. Yeah. And and that may open things up for, for Ryan Johansson. Exactly. And and it may, may things make things a little more difficult for Matt mm-hmm. Duchesne, and he's going to have to battle through that. That's right. And I think the reason why we have the Preds number one to me <laughs> is because they're such a high floor team. But my bigger question, especially when it comes to the offense, is can they get to that ceiling? We saw last year their power play was historically bad. It was the worst power play by any team in the last two seasons combined. It was so bad, and Duchesne is going to help. They're finally going to elevate the ceiling of the forward group a little bit, and I am I am excited with the idea of maybe Duchesne eventually getting a shot with Arvidsson and or Forsberg. Uh, Arvidsson, if you look at forwards with uh, f- at least 500 minutes at 5-on-5 five five last year, he had the highest goals per 60 minutes in the entire NHL. Mm-hmm. 34 goals in 58 games, so there is a lot of ceiling to unlock there, but if I look at the big picture, Picture, you know, and Duchesne is sort of the example, the microcosm of the whole team. It's like Duchesne is a good player, but if you put him on an elite team, like is on if you drop him onto Tampa Bay Lightning, he's the third line center, right? right? So yeah. it's just a comparison of what the the top end competition is. Mm-hmm. Um, a big question for the Predators, of course, is the price they paid to get Duchesne. It wasn't just dollars, like I said, it, it meant shipping out PK Subban. And part of the reason they felt, or David Poyle felt, he could do do that is that they have a guy who's a right-handed shot ready to step into the top four we know he's a first-round pick a high ceiling Dante Fabro 
But at the same time, you, you're dropping him onto a, a team with cup aspirations and sort of assuming he's ready to be a top four defenseman. Do you guys think that he is? I think he's a top four defenseman. I, I don't think you want to say he's the new Subban because they are very different players. I mean, they both have good two-way games, but you're not going to get like a huge cannon point shot from Dante Fabro. You're not necessarily going to get big splashy hits, but you will get a safer game from Dante Fabro. And I, I think he fits really well with the Predators because they do have some of the skill sets that Subban takes with him to New Jersey. I mean, Ryan Ellis can put up points on the back end. Roman Yossi is a fantastic two-way player. Matias Ekholm is a hard guy to play against. So with Fabro, you're just getting another really solid two-way player who has seen success you know, at the junior level and the NCAA level. And now he comes in sort of a fully formed young man and it's in a great situation where he doesn't have to be the guy he doesn't have to play 24 minutes a night right away but I feel like he can fit in immediately and I think that's a really good thing for the Predators to have right now yeah, I, I mean, the question is, can Dante Fabro replace P.K. Subban? And, I, and in the long term, maybe. In the short term, not a chance. I mean, P.K. Subban's a Norris Trophy winner who, you know, albeit was, you know, hampered by a lot of injuries last year, didn't have a very good year. But, you know, we know is when he's at his best is... is a Nor probably still is a Norris Trophy caliber. I think he's a dark he's horse in, this he's year. In, he's in he's in that conversation, right? Okay, totally. so so yeah, no, Dante Fabro's not going to replace him, but he doesn't have to. I I think the smartest thing that and and this is what the Predators probably will do is the smartest thing they can do is put him with Matthias Ekholm, sure. um, a guy who just doesn't care if he gets no personal accolades. Just is is a is a really, really good player. I've never talked to an NHL player who's less impressed with himself than Matthias Ekholm is. Doesn't care that he only makes four point two five million dollars. You know, and, and is just all about making the team better and being really good. And that is a guy that I think can really help the development of a young guy. I think I think that will be a, a wonderful pairing next year. But but to suggest that Dante Fabro can replace PK Subban at this point, no. But like I said, and you rhymed off all the guys, Ellis you know, Alice and Yossi and Ekholm and everybody else, he doesn't have to. Yeah. Next up in the Central preview, we have the Hype Train, the team that people are just losing their mind over, pretty much anointing them, Stanley Cup contenders, based on what they did in the offseason and based on the excitement that they gave us, I think, in the playoffs when they just steamrolled the first-place Calgary Flames, the Colorado Avalanche. And, and it's true. This is a very exciting team to watch. The engine driving it, of course, is Nathan McKinnon. He's, he's flirted. He's knocked on the door of 100 points the past couple of years. He would have had it two years ago based on his pace. So we'll start with McKinnon. And do you guys think this is the year he's finally going to break through and maybe win that Hart Trophy, win that scoring title? Or do you think McKinnon's at his ceiling right now? I, I mean, that's hard to say because it seems like his ceiling is borderline Hart Trophy. And, I mean, it really came down to the wire and voting when he lost to Taylor Hall. I mean, what, what do you say? Like, he's part of one of the best lines in the NHL. You know, obviously Boston has the, the Bergeron combination. But in the West, McKinnon, Ranson, and Landeskog is the best line there is. And he has figured out how to use his speed to devastating effect. We always yeah. knew Nathan McKinnon was a burner, one of the fastest guys, one of those powerful skaters in the NHL. But, you know, I remember talking to him a couple of years ago when he really started to sort of take hold. And he was saying that mixing up his gears 
would take him to the next level. And sure enough, it did, where goalies can't predict what he's going to do anymore. And I think that that's what he is right now, is he's a guy that could win the Hart Trophy or come close. And I think he'll be in that 100-point range for at least the next five years. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that there's anyone in the league that is that handles the puck at high speed better than Matt Dush- or sorry better than Nathan McKinnon other than of course Connor McDavid. Yeah, it's yeah. those, those yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, I mean Absolutely. Connor McDavid's here, Nathan McKinnon's here and then and then you know I mean so everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, I I mean does he have another gear? Um I, I don't know if he needs another gear. The gear his top gear right now is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, not pretty good. It's spectacular. Um I I think you know I I think one thing we do know is that like, we've got Colorado picked for second. If they do finish second in this division, if they do win this division, it will be not on his back, but he'll be the one busting the door down, leading the way. Yeah. So, And if he does that, and they do win the division, and they are sort of in the top, among the top teams in the NHL, and he scores 100 points, that's all sort of heart trophy material right there for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the big question of course uh, going into this season is has Joe Sackick addressed the team's number one need which was of course depth at the forward position because you know that line is so dominant that the Landis Cog McKinnon ranting in line but it, it accounts for such a huge percentage of the pie in terms of Colorado scoring and now you have Nazem Kadri that trade Tyson Berry trade Kadri is now your new second line center you've got Andre Burkowski added Yunus Donskoy and they, they've as a whole it to me it really does seem like Sakic has repaired that problem and what I love about it is with a guy like Kadri who's a proven 30 goal guy a solid number two center you even have the option I mean it gives you so many more looks you can now you don't have to feel pressure to split up uh, the the big line which Jared Bednar occasionally did last year when there was a slump uh, but if you want to you can also try different looks you can have a Kadri Ranton pairing and a Landis Cog McKinnon pairing and have danger on both lines if you want I, I just think it really adds so much to the attack but do you guys think that the specific guys they got will be enough to address the problem? I, I love what they did I love what they did right down to Pierre-Edouard Bellemare as, as their fourth line center um that's a great pickup. Mm-hmm. You know, Andre Berkowski, great pickup. You know, Kadri now is, you know, was miscast as a third-line center in Toronto. Now gets a chance to elevate his his minutes, his impact on the game. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that their forward core is very, very, very deep. Uh, and and it's and it's really really talented. I I, I really like what they've done. Hmm. I'm a little. Not skeptical, but I'm I'm going to reserve opinion until we actually start the games. Obviously, Kadri is a, a big addition, but not only did they lose Alexander Kerfoot in that trade, but they also lost Carl Soderberg, who was a pretty underrated member of that forward core. And for me, the, the two X factors are Burakovsky, who's coming off a not very good season, right. and Tyson Jost, who you know came up with Colorado pretty early on and has struggled to sort of break out to the next level. Now, if Jost does do that this season, then obviously you're in great shape because, again, you get into matchup problems there. Um, with Burakovsky, if he can recover and become the guy that's had success in Washington as a secondary scorer, then, again, the abs will look really good. If neither of those guys can take off, then, I mean, it puts pressure on a guy like Don Scoy to, to really produce the secondary scoring, and it puts the pressure back on your top line. So 
I hope the moves work out for the sake of Colorado fans, but I I need to see it first. Well, and then, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to me with Andre Burkowski, like, I don't know, man. <clears throat> and I've been having this conversation more because of the fantasy hockey stuff that I do, and people are excited about Burkowski. And it's like, he had chances to play with Kuznetsov and Backstrom, and yeah. it, it didn't it didn't happen. So <laughs> to he can't me, score in Washington. Yeah. Like, I know he that's not wasn't his line last year. It was Lars Eller and Brett Connolly, but... He had he's had like plenty of chances, and I just don't see why this change of scenery is going to do anything for him. So I, I'm not really buying the Burkowski. You but don't you don't think a change of scenery does something for a guy like that? Well, it depends. A young guy who maybe needs to get out of that logjam of like really really talented players. Well, and, it's and depending on what the change yeah. of scenery is. Yeah, yeah. To, to yeah. me, yeah. The, the change of scenery is putting Matua. I think he's going to be playing with overall worse players. Yeah, yeah, not not well, not better players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not better. Which 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 I think maybe he's a guy that needs to needs to face that kind of challenge. You know. Yeah, I and mean, the question is, can can he meet that yeah, challenge? Yeah, exactly. I don't think he's ever proven that. Even yeah. going back to his junior days right. in Erie when he right. was with Connor McDavid with the Otters. I don't think Burakovsky has ever proven that he can rise to the occasion. Yeah, the biggest X factor, of course, is. Whether or not Rantanen signs and when he yes. signs, oh, so true. Of course, how, how far he gets into training camp before he signs, you yeah. know, whether he misses any part of the season, um, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, he looks at he looks at at Mitch Marner and says, and could probably go to his go to Joe Sackick and say. Give me that. I'm better than him. And Joe Sackick says, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if you're better than him. That's Toronto. And they're going to do what they're going to do. But you're not getting that money. That's going to be a tough one. Mm-hmm. And right now, or at least as of the time of recording this podcast, he's still <laughs> in Finland. You never yes. know if it's going to. Maybe he's on a plane now to North America. Uh, before we get to our next question, I want to call an audible. It's not one of our official questions that appears in our season preview. Oh, but we right. have to talk about Kale McCarr. Here, sure. I think it's too important. It's a defining aspect of Colorado's season. Uh, and do you guys think that he is ready to be the guy? Because the thing is, when you trade Tyson Berry, you're putting a lot on yeah. Kale McCarr's shoulders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know we all love him, and I, I do really think he's going to be a phenom. But it's one thing to put a guy in your lineup and hope he becomes that, and it's another to really be depending on that to happen. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? Looks like he's 12, plays like he's 29. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, he's... he's. Uh, I, I believe I believe that's a good call, and I believe he can do it. Um, the team he played for last year was nothing special, and he got... He almost single-handedly got the team an NCAA championship, got them to the final game. They were they were beaten, and, and they they really had no chance in that game, um, but he got them that far. And then you see the body of work that he produced in the playoffs. I, I don't think there's any uh, question that he's capable of handling it. Um, I don't think... I don't get the sense he's going to burn out after 60 games. He just looks like one of those guys that isn't phased by any of this stuff and knows he's good, quietly knows he's good and and now has, you know, dictated his own he dictated his own progression, his own development, right? Yeah. Like they wanted him last year and he was like, "Nope, nope, not doing it. Need to be in the weight room a little more. Need to win, you know, need to do this, need Didn't to Didn't go that. to the Olympics when he yeah, had the yeah, chance." Exactly. Yeah. And so and so I I really believe that he I I really believe he is the real deal. Yeah, he's my Calder pick mm-hmm. preseason. I, I think he Front can do it. Front runner without question. Yeah, I think he can put up those numbers. And 
You know, I mean, he doesn't have to be the guy right away. Uh, they have Samuel Girard, who is also an excellent puck mover. They have Eric Johnson, who is a great two-way player, who can take on tough minutes. So, Kale McCarr, I think he's going to get great opportunity, but he's not going to have that 100% pressure where it's like, please go out and do everything for 25 minutes of nice for us. Colorado doesn't need that. They have a pretty yeah. decent defense core. I think he'll be able to augment it and add a lot to it, and that'll benefit everybody. Right. And uh, Philip Grubauer, in the span of two seasons, you know, Washington two years ago, he's getting the hook in the first round of the playoffs, watching Braden Holtby lead Washington to the Stanley Cup. Next year, he gets his chance, and he gradually wins over the job from Varlamov, finishes overall on a much higher note. He's the starting goalie through the playoffs. Are we believers now in Philip Grubauer? Yes. Yeah, because I think for two, it's it's been two years that he's done this. Because in the year that Washington won the Stanley Cup, I think what some people might forget is Braden Holby was terrible, beyond bad in, <laughs> yes. in the regular season. Yeah. and and I'm not sure that they they you know they have the success they have without the way he played in in for long parts of that season. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the body of work now suggests that yes, he's a number one goalie. He's a he's a really good number one goalie. He has the potential to be an elite number one goalie. Maybe, maybe will become one. Maybe won't. But at the very least, he's a he's a solid number one goalie. Yeah, we're entering sort of an interesting period of the NHL where there isn't a lot of superstar netminders left. The biggest names are aging out or yeah. even retiring, and we're sort of left with this new crop where there's a lot of question marks. And I, I think Grubauer, I, I agree, Ken. I think he's done enough already to say, yeah, that's a starter. That's a guy you can rely on. And for a team of Colorado's caliber, he's what they need. He can get them to the top of the central. Mm-hmm. And in goaltending today, it's so fickle. It's like if you get a goaltender, he was good in AHL Hershey. He was one of the best backups in the league for a few seasons. The year that he sort of stole a job from Holtby, aside from the playoffs, his under-the-hood numbers were outstanding, like graded out as elite. And then he steals a job last year. So it, the sample size overall is not huge, but everything he's shown, shown us so far suggests that he's a legit number one goaltender. Well, so yeah. that's all you can ask for in today's NHL. Yeah. That's as good as it gets mm-hmm. when you're trying to bet on who's going to be a breakout goalie year to year you talk about goaltenders you know and it being fickle like there literally is a scrap heap and it's behind a saint hubert in longay quebec (laughs) you can actually go there and pick goalies off of it and they can come in and be stars jordan binnington last year (laughs) exactly exactly next up in the preview we've got the dallas stars and this is another team that i think really retooled and is generating some excitement i think it's not quite on the hype Mm. level of colorado because colorado's got the the young factor going. Dallas is more about the hype in the sense of kind of a veteran team that knows it needs to win with the top end of this group. You know, mm-hmm. guys like Ben Bishop and Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, they know that they're nearing their end of their prime windows. So you have Jim Neal, he goes out and gets Joe Pavelski and Corey Perry, Andre Sakara. Uh, I, I like what they did, but let's start with the guy that was already there, the captain, Jamie Ben. And last year he was not himself. And, you know, in the last several seasons, he's had a few off years. Yeah. Are you worried about Jamie Benn, or do you think that with an improved supporting cast, we're going to see him get back to the you know the form of the guy who people forget he won the scoring title in 2015 and and was excruciatingly close to ending that that game against St. Louis in overtime on a wraparound. Mm, yep. uh, yeah, um, no, I, I would I think there's reason to be concerned here. Yep. Yeah, I mean, age, Miles, um, the way he's played, the way he plays. I think those are all factors uh, that go into it. Um, so, yeah, I do think, you know, I mean, he may very well come back and, and be very good this year, but 
the trend doesn't look particularly positive. Yeah, it feels like if you put them in front of the net, you're fine. You know, in a in a half court setting, if you will, mm. Jamie Ben can still be pretty effective. But it's a speed game now, and. I, I don't know if he's built for this current NHL. The The good thing for Dallas is that a lot of the kids they have coming up are very quick. You look at Rupi Hintz. Uh, uh, you look at Jason Dickinson. Even Dennis Gurianoff for a mm-hmm. big guy moves pretty well. I think Jamie Benn, obviously he's still going to be a top six guy for them. But now that they have more options coming up, uh, on top of the free agents that you mentioned, um, I, I think that he can sort of fade back a little bit and if he takes on a slightly different role that could probably help them out where you're spreading all the scoring around and you're getting into different matchups I think that's maybe the route we're looking at with Dallas because I mean he's probably not going to get faster at this point in his career so what are you left with to <coughs> tweak the situation? Right, and I think we've seen it in the last several seasons that a certain type of player does not age well, and that is the big power forward. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, mm-hmm. David Backus really fell off a cliff, and I think that maybe that's becoming the case for Wayne Simmons as well. Ben was a better player than either guy ever was, but the aging process could still be similar. You just take a lot of a pounding when you're just a physical forward that yep. grinds guys yep. down. Eric Lindros, of course, as well, is maybe the most famous example. Um, but I do think, and that kind of ties to the next question, is you know, with the secondary scoring coming in, maybe there's less pressure on Ben. And you know, to go back to what we said with Duchesne and, and Ryan Johansson, matchups might be better. Uh, so are you guys believers in, you know, especially, I mean, there's Corey Perry, who's yeah. a bit banged up already, um, yeah. Yeah. and Joe Pavelski. But do you think that these veteran additions are going to solve the problem of depth at four, which is very similar to what Colorado had. Same problems Colorado last year. I'm I'm a believer in Dallas. I think they could be a sneaky Stanley Cup contender. And I mean, Joe Pavelski is a big reason because he's such a like do-it-all guy, both on and off the ice. I think he'll bring uh, a really good voice to the dressing room and, and just a different perspective coming from an organization like the Sharks. Um, you know, because we, we're looking at a lot of the same veterans in Dallas for a while now. So I think Pavelski will be kind of a nice breath of fresh air, bring some new ideas. And and some of the kids I, I mentioned before with Gurianoff and Hintz and, and Jason Dickinson, I think that'll help. And, you know, Corey Perry, I mean, they got him for a song. Uh, so whatever he provides is kind of bonus at this point. I don't think they expect him to be the Corey Perry of old. But if he can be just uh, a good foot soldier, that's a bonus. I, I think they have enough scoring and they have enough skills up front to get the job done. And then, you know, they have strengths at other positions that will elevate them as well. I, I guess the big question is, is bringing in a 30-something veteran who had, albeit one who had a career year last year, is, does that answer your scoring woes? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure it does. Because I, I don't think you can, at this point, count on Corey Perry to be anything more than a 14-goal scorer, yeah. maybe? Yeah. You know? Yeah. If that... And if I don't that, think Pavelski's going to be 38-goal guy No, he's again. not. Maybe he's 28, not. though. Yeah. 28. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, th- this is going to be dictated by how people like 
Rupe Hintz plays. Um, he's a guy that I think you don't sleep on that guy. He's gonna he's gonna be better. Big fan. And he's yeah, he's gonna be really good. You know, Gurianov, we've talked about him in the past. That's a guy that can provide you know, you know, what does Jason Dickinson do? What is you know, does Radic Faxa, you know, elevate his game a little bit and maybe provide a little more offense? I don't think it's in what they went out and got as mm. much as what they've already got and how that how that core of young players, younger players, yeah. makes the jump. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, you know, even if Corey Perry scores 14 goals, that's 14 more than Valerie Nachushkin had last year for them. So Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Anything is an improvement on the bottom even six they 14, had. I'm thinking about 14. Now, that might that might even be a bit too much to ask. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Uh, you know, one of the big stories of Dallas last year, of course, yes, they do have that great young blue line, that the trio of Mira Heiskanen and John Klingberg and Essen Lindell, but their goaltending was phenomenal last year. Ben Bishop, on a per-game basis, was probably the best goaltender in the entire league last year, but, uh, you know, didn't play enough to beat Vasilevsky for the Vezina. Anton Kadobin, in a backup job, was really good as well. Yeah. So do we believe in these two guys that are into their 30s and Bishop's very, you know, brittle over the course of his career do you think that this can be repeatable or is that going to go down as complete fluke year in the crease for Dallas no I I think that what we saw from Bishop was the real deal and he's had you know a bunch of little injuries over the past couple of years but you know with a good summer uh, there's nothing structural I would say about Bishop other than the fact that he's six foot seven Um, there's nothing structural that says he should be getting injured all the time and I, I think you know, if he just has better luck, then you're looking at a guy that can easily give you that 60 games that you probably want in your NHL starter and, and no more than that these days. And and as you said, Kudobin was excellent as a back, backup. Yeah. I mean, Dallas's time to win is right now. So Bishop and Kudobin, they can get the job done this year. If it doesn't happen this year, I think next year your window would still be open. But, you know, you, you're kind of... You've got Bishop for the next couple of years, and then eventually it's going to be Jake Ottinger uh, as your starter down the road. But I I think he can get it done, and I think he could probably win the Vesna. Well, the Dallas Stars had no business being anywhere winning, near winning Game 7 of the second round against St. Louis last year. They had no business even being in that game. And the only reason why it went to double overtime yep. double overtime was because of Ben Bishop um, you know I, I'm not sure you want him playing 60 games I, I'm not sure that him getting hurt for 10 games isn't isn't is not the worst thing in, yep. in, in the world but but I don't like when you've got a guy like Kudobin playing the way he did why why would you not go 50-32 totally. you know why would you not do that or, or maybe even more you right. know yeah. um, and then then he's fresher for the playoffs and, and he can he can carry that load every other night in what you hope is a long playoff run. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think last year was a fluke. I don't think you, at this stage of a career, of a guy's career with Ben Bishop, I don't think you can say it's a fluke when he plays as well as he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but these things are very fleeting. They're very, very, very fleeting. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me, I, I think Dallas <laughs> is the dream fit for Ben Bishop because they are the team. It's Jim Nill, and I was, it was a conversation I had with him that made me think of this whole idea the, the, that the central teams have this brutal travel schedule. And he said that the Stars, almost more than any other team, if you look at their usage of going back to, you know, Kerry Lettinen, the tandem back then, uh, and Antti Niemi, like their usage is very evenly split every single year because they, they feel like their goalies get so tired because of that travel schedule. So I don't think Bishop's going to get past 50 games. 
games, even in a healthy year, and that's ideal for him because it keeps him fresher. To me, the question is more is Anton Kudobin, was he a fluke? Because he's much older than Ben Bishop, mm-hmm. and to me, that was the season that was more out of nowhere. And in Dallas, you need a very good backup goalie more than other teams do because you know your backup goalie is going to play 30 or more games. So, I don't know. You're gambling a bit more, I think, on Kudobin than you are uh, on Bishop. Maybe, yeah. But if you look at, like, Curtis McElhinney and Yero Halak in the past couple of years, like, I think we're seeing the veteran backup goalie being a thing where these guys, they know how to prepare their bodies. They've been doing it for such a long time. They have the mental awareness to jump into a game when they have to. And, you know, if they don't play for a week or two, that's fine. Um, Maybe that's just kind of a new trend. You know, it's interesting. And you think about it, like, it's almost like it's become like a relief pitcher, right? Like, guys come in to the league as relief pitchers, right? Mm -hmm. Like, guys like Anton Kudobin and Curtis McElhinney, they're career backups, and they're really good at what they do, you know? Like, so, you know, it used to be sort of that faded number one would, you know, he'd probably be a number one, then he'd transition to back up now it's almost like guys come in and they're that's like their specialty right good point at fourth in the central division we have the winnipeg jets the team that made us look bad last year we picked them to win the friggin stanley cup they went out in round one thanks a lot jets uh and a disclaimer in our magazine our season preview which has been out on newsstands for a couple weeks we have the jets as fourth but that was before of course the news of dustin bufflin's leave of absence and we probably assumed that patrick line and kyle connor would be signed as well uh so you know mentally if you're wondering well how could we have the jets above the blues is because because we did so assuming the Jets had a full roster. But still, let's start with Patrick Laine. Mm. Um, and it's, it's sort of a two-pronged question. It's about, you know, do we think he's going to be on the ice? And if he is on the ice, will it be as a Winnipeg Jet? And if he's a Winnipeg Jet, is he going to be good? It's a triple question, man. Mm. So you start, Kenny. Wow. It's, it's, um, there's, there's, this just, just reeks of uncertainty and dread <laughs> you know yeah. he's in he's in switzerland right now yeah so um yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and he had an off year last year. I, I think I think one thing he's established is that he's going to be a streaky scorer, whether he's scoring a lot of goals or or not many goals. Um, and the question is, is you know, can you live with that? Right? Can you live with that? Is that something you're going to pay a premium for? And is that something you're going to build around? Um, and now Patrick Line has put himself into the. He's put himself into a into a caliber of player where you don't really know what you're getting, right? Like uh, from one season to the next, and from you know one game to the next, he might he might score five goals in a game. He might go ten games without scoring a goal. So I found in the NHL, there's nothing general managers like better than being able to sleep at night knowing what they have and i think that's what makes this difficult is you just you really don't know which way he's gonna go in the long run like you don't i mean i know he's a super super talented player he can score goals he's one of the best pure goal scorers in the nhl but i don't think he can sit here and say he's gonna be a 40 goal scorer every year for the next 10 years i I, i'm not sure you can say that with any degree of certainty in fact i don't i don't think you can yeah and how weird is it that the, you know, Line A and Pugliarvi, neither one of them are in North America to start training camp. Pugliarvi already playing for Carpat back in Finland. Line A practicing in Switzerland while he waits for his contract to get figured out. It's like, what happened to that draft class? It's yeah. supposed to be amazing, and now it's all weird. But I wonder if 
the best thing for Patrick Line would be that you know he takes a contract that's maybe less than he thinks he's worth, and that lights a fire under him. And that short term deal, I presume. Short term, yep. Yep. And he figures out, okay, well, what I'm a powerful guy. What can I do besides score goals? How how else can I contribute to this Jets team that uh, that has so many excellent two way players already? How can I, you know, become more enmeshed in this forward core? And I think if he can do that, then obviously that's best for everyone. But that's a big if, especially because he's not there for the beginning of training camp. And you know, it came down this morning that he is in fact practicing with S.E. Byrne in Switzerland, not just hanging out anymore. He's officially practicing. So he clearly doesn't think he's going to be coming back tomorrow. Of all these guys, of all these RFAs that are sitting out, I... I and, and this is nothing... This is not based on any intel. It's based on gut, gut feeling. I could see him being the guy that says, oh, yeah. screw it, I'm sitting out the year. I've yeah. said, I'm, I'm said it all along. I'm not playing. Give right. me what I want, and until you're ready to give me what I want, I'll play somewhere else. Yeah, I've said that all along, and it was, and it is from some minor anecdotal intel. Mm-hmm. And it's not, like, all I'll say is that the people that told me, it was multiple people, and they were finished. The people that told mm. me this were all finished. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and they were in hockey. That's all I can say, but they told me that at the beginning of the summer, and I remembered that. I said, huh, interesting. They they don't they, – these people seem pretty skeptical that he's ever going to come back to the Jets. And I just tucked that away, and, yeah. and then here we yeah. are, and he's yeah. – we, yeah. we have no idea what's going to happen. So it makes yeah. me feel that those people were validated. Um, but I, I still consider myself overall more of a line-A believer than, than most, mm-hmm. uh, only because of the fact, you know, the floor is still 30 goals. He, he's, he was talented enough that he scored 18 in the span of 12 games. And he's he's only now, I've said this before, but he's only now the age that Alex Ovechkin was at the end of his rookie season. Mm. And there are rookies in the league now that are older than Patrick Laine. Mm. And he's got 110 career goals. So right. it puts in perspective how young Laine still is. And to me, that means there's a lot of time for him to iron out the inconsistencies. I think what you have to worry more about Laine is his body. It, it, it lends to him being... A, a higher, having a higher chance of being a one-dimensional player as he gets older because he might slow down. He's he's just huge. He's six foot five, mm-hmm. and he's all about finding those shooting lanes and releasing. But I don't I don't see him as the type of guy that's going to become an all situations you know shadow another team's best forward yeah. type of player. So you really need the goal scoring racket to work out for him. Well, and you can't and you can't play on the periphery if you're going to score forty goals a year or fifty goals a year. Mm. You can't hang around the periphery because those aren't dangerous scoring areas. Yep. So you're going to get abused. You're going to take abuse and and we've seen it already mm-hmm. the next question we have about the Jets it's a scary question because we posed this question in the magazine when Dustin Bufflin was still part of the team now we have no idea if Bufflin's going to be back in a couple days a couple weeks a couple months we have no idea yet um, but we know that regardless the Jets blue line was significantly weakened because you lost the like you know how many guys from the right side you lost Jacob Trueer from the right side Tyler, Tyler Myers. Myers you might now have be missing Bufflin. You've lost, I think they lost adventure. Adventure well. So yeah. four of your starting six defensemen from last year are gone, and this is a team that still wants to fashion itself a Stanley Cup contender. Do you think those losses are catastrophic? Catastrophic? Not sure, but significant? Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, maybe kittens dropping. Y- y- <laughs> oh, dad joke! Wow. <laughs> I, th- I think you have to dab now. <laughs> I don't know how that yeah. works. Okay, like this. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, no, I don't. No, I you don't. did that. That's, I did. That's on tape now. 
You did it. You got to live with that. I, I don't. Th- I don't think. I think it's. I think it's. A, it's a significant blow. I mean, you cannot you lose the likes of Jacob Truba and and you know. I mean, for all that, for all of Tyler Myers's detractors. Um, he had a role. He was a very good offensive yeah. defenseman for them. Still a top so, four guy. Yeah, and, and, and you're replacing him with Neil Pionk, who's, who's good. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think there's a reason why the uh, why the Winnipeg Jets wanted to get Josh Morrissey done as quickly and as emphatically as they did, because he's probably going to be their most important defenseman, if not now, in the very near future. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I think... The blue line takes a hit. There's absolutely no question about that. Yeah, and I think it's going to mean some very quick growing up for the likes of Tucker Pullman and Sammy Niku. And, you know, we've seen some pretty nice performances by those guys at the AHL level. Uh, and, you know, Pullman going back to his, uh, his college career. But those are big skates to fill, uh, literally and figuratively. And it... I agree. I mean, how can they not take a step back losing yeah. so many minutes from so many key guys? And it's it's a, basically a completely different blue line now. And you had depth. Like, you yeah. had depth. Yeah. You know, that was a deep, deep defense court. Now, not so deep. Not, not so, so deep. deep. Yeah, and, and I always say, like, my rule for the Central is status quo is death. And, like, this isn't mm. status quo. This is losing many players from your starting lineup. Um, and it kind of goes to my it ties to the final question and that's just what's happened to Winnipeg's Stanley Cup window because a year ago we were so bullish on this team we thought they you know they'd put in the time Kevin Chevalier off all these first round picks this huge collection of talent this critical mass and it looked like they were set to be contenders for years to come they'd almost won the president's trophy the year before conference finalists and now you're looking at what's going on and you're seeing well Blake Wheeler starting to to get long in the tooth and so is Buffalo of course Financially, this team could not add anyone in the offseason, right. and they still don't even have Connor and Line locked up. And I kind of wonder, did they did they screw it up? Is it like did Chevaldeoff and the Jets miss this window, or can it be repaired? And do they still have a chance to be contenders? I, I mean, you look at them on paper, and assuming Buffalo comes back and, and plays at 100, percent they're still a pretty good team, but they they just don't seem that scary anymore, which mm-hmm. is <laughs> odd. I mean, yeah. Truba, pretty big name there. I just feel like, I, like I don't know, like last year's playoffs. That was like really a big missed opportunity for them because you looked at that lineup and it's like, wow, the Jets are scary. And you look at what Connor Hellbuck had done in net previously. It's like, oh man, Hellbuck's going to be their guy. Great defense core. You got Mark Scheifele up front and Blake Wheeler and Patrick Laine and. You still have a lot of those players, and I think, you know, like Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, obviously, you know, they've done nothing wrong. But it just seems like all these little hits keep coming to the Jets, and, it, you know, we go back to the fact that they're in the Central, and they could lose in the first round, and no one would bat an eye because they're probably going to play somebody else with Stanley Cup aspirations. And yet you have to wonder, at what point does this war of attrition become too much? Now, I will say... If they re-sign Kyle Connor, he could continue to make his way up the roster and, and become an even more effective NHLer and get more points. You know, Nikolai Ehlers is in the same situation, although he's already under contract, where there's still room for growth there. But it just feels like there is something with that window. It got it got small really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Um, 
But I, I would posit this. I'm not sure it's better. It's not better to finish fourth and fifth in the Central Division than it is to finish in the top three. Yeah. You finish fourth in the Central Division, it's a good chance you're playing the San Jose Sharks in the first round. Mm-hmm. That's or, a, or just Pacific Team that's a, X yeah, that's or a winnable yeah. se- That's a winnable series. Yeah. And then you're going through the Pacific before you get to the conference final. You, you, don't, you don't play Central until... The conference final, if you finish fourth or fifth, right? right. Um, so I'm not sure that's not a, that's not a better way to approach this season. I don't think they screwed it up. Um, personally, I think in the NHL now, if you are not dangerously up against the salary cap, you're not good enough or you're not trying hard enough because everybody who's good, this is going to be the reality for everyone for the rest of time is if you're if you're a good team you are always going to be dangerously up against the salary cap it's mm-hmm. always going to be precarious so that's going to happen and and it's not like they don't have any good young players and it's not like they don't have any good young prospects um you know i mean if if and when they sign Kyle Connor i mean goodness me i mean another guy who i i'm sorry but could walk into to Kevin Sheveldayoff and say I'm better than Marner, or I'm at least as good, you know? I don't think Kyle Connor. I scored more goals than he did last year. Marner had 94 points. Yeah, what's that? Not Marner had 94 points. Connor had like 87. 50-something. Kyle Connor? Kyle Connor? Yeah. Had 50-something points? Yeah. He had like 30, he had more than 30 goals. Yeah, okay, well, he had more. He had more. As a goal scorer, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, To me, if if you look at the Jets' lineup, like I, I still see plenty of potential for offense, Especially if Jack Rosovic steps up or Kristen Veselainen gets an opportunity. But if you look at like Hellebuck's numbers last year, they took a big nosedive, like you said, Ryan. And the reason why was if you look at the quality of chances that the Jets allowed. Two years ago, he sort of was artificially inflated because they did such a good job. They made his workload very easy. Last year, he had more of a league average or even slightly tougher than normal workload. Numbers dipped. And then you take away all those defensemen. So it might be open season on Hellebuck this year. He might get shelled. That's, I think that's the concern. So... I don't know. I'm, I've gone from bullish to bearish, but we'll see. And now we transition to a team that, yes, we shockingly have projected to be fifth place. But like you said, Ken, fifth place in the Central is hardly a death knell. In no, a way, we could say it's a compliment. We're recognizing that the Blues are just going to ease their way into things. They know that it doesn't matter where they finish. They can win the Cup anyways. Last place team, who cares, win the Stanley Cup. Uh, and I guess we'll start with the guy that was the, the, the engine driving that rise up the standings which was Jordan Bennington and I think it's one of the biggest questions of the entire NHL season is is Jordan Bennington the real deal I don't think we can say yet no Jordan Bennington still hasn't played everybody in the central division that's a fact that I researched (laughs) (laughs) it took a long time no it didn't Uh, but it is a fact he hasn't played everyone in the division. I don't think that NHL teams really have a book on him yet, and they will get that book probably by the All-Star break, and at which point it'll be interesting to see what Jordan Bennington is made of. He obviously plays very well under pressure. He's a very calm customer. He's got great size. So everything is there for him to be that number one guy long term, but I just I want to see it. I mean, a lot of strange things can happen in a short period of time. We all remember Andrew Hammond, the Hamburglar of Ottawa. Yeah, yeah. 
It could be that situation. It could be completely could be different. He could be Ed Felford. He could be, he could be, be, a, he yeah. could be a Hall of Famer. He could be Ken Dryden for all yeah, we yeah. know. Yeah. 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 Uh, but we don't know yet. And that's why I think this season is so intriguing for the Blues is that he's a huge X factor. He could be one of two extremes, and he could just be pretty decent. It's really a, a huge question. Jordan Bennington um, could have sat back this summer and said, hey, look, boys, I I won you a Stanley Cup. You could argue that I was the, the Conn Smythe, the con, the, a deserving Conn Smythe winner. I want to be paid and I want term. And I think the smartest thing he did was he realized that, you know what? Okay, I've still got something to prove. And he made it palatable and, and mm. a much easier for the Blues to sign him. And I think that's going to help him because I don't think that creates... He, you know, the expectation level is already going to be where it is, yeah. right? But it doesn't create, you know, it, even more elevated expectations in yeah. terms of, yeah, this guy's our, you know, he's our big money guy. He's, you know, he's he's our he's, Carey Price, yeah, yeah exactly. So, so I, th- I think he he made it. I think he made a really smart move in that respect. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm with Ryan. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know what this guy is, and I don't think anybody knows exactly what this guy is. I mean, like I say, he's he reminds me a lot of Ed Belfour in the in his demeanor, in the way he is, in the way he plays, and in his approach. Um, if he turns out to be that, then like I said, he's a Hall of Famer. I'm a, I'm on the other side of the debate. I'm a believer in Bennington for a few reasons. For one, you know, and I've heard the Andrew Hammond comparison thrown out a lot for Bennington, but. Bennington was he wasn't a nobody. He you know, he made Team Canada's World Junior roster. He was best goalie at the Memorial Cup. He was uh, OHL goaltender of the year. He was in blue, the blue system as one of their better prospects. Never an, an A-grade prospect, but a consistently a B-grade prospect. He was always on our list of top tens in Future Watch, uh, our, our prospect magazine. So he didn't come out of nowhere. He was a guy like, oh, yeah, Bennington finally got his shot. He's, he's always been a pretty decent goaltending prospect. So he had the pedigree, in my opinion, to be decent. Uh, and, you know, my under-the-hood numbers, of course, if you look at Goal saved above above average. That crucial stat. He was top three in the league per sixty minutes. So we know in the regular season, in that sample, which was only thirty starts, he was absolutely elite. Vezina, I'm so excited. I just spat uh-huh. uh, the Vezina caliber elite. And then if you add the Stanley Cup playoffs, then the sample size is more like an entire season, which was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you look at you know, is there going to be pressure, expectations, you know, the new contract, etc. Well, I don't think it gets any more high pressure than being a rookie going into Boston for Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final and winning. So to me, that tells us guy's got ice in his veins, and you see mm-hmm. it by his. His expression, Do if I you ever talk to him, yeah. Yeah. he's just like stone cold. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying if we're having this debate, uh, I'm a believer in Bennington. I even published Vezina rankings last week, and I had Bennington number four on okay. the list. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm a Bennington believer, baby. Yeah. Good. Uh, we've seen this pretty often uh, with Stanley Cup winners in recent seasons where they bring back almost the same team. And the Blues are no exception uh, other than, you know, losing Patrick Maroon. But other than that, like their their starting lineup is pretty unchanged. Are you guys believers in that philosophy that, hey, if it, it ain't broke, don't fix it? Or do you think you need to be dynamic and constantly changing to keep up in today's NHL? I think the Blues are kind of unique because they had such a roller coaster season. It, it doesn't feel like it's status quo, even though it is. And I, I don't fault GM Doug Armstrong for 
going with the the guys he has. I, I think what will be an important subplot this season for the Blues is can any young guys force their way onto the lineup, and then for some of those young guys, can they force their way up the lineup? So you know, like Jordan Kiru, how much are we going to see of him this year? Um, you know. Robert Thomas, what kind of role will he have on this team? Another one is Robbie Fabry, who did not play a lot in the playoffs, even though he's been with the team a couple of years, and he's had some some pretty rough injuries yeah, along the way. Time. But, I mean, Robbie Fabry should be a top-six guy. Is he a top-six guy on this St. Louis team? I think he needs to push for that, and that's the sort of subplot that I think could help the Blues is having that fierce internal competition where guys are pushing each other day in and day out and you know you got guys like Ryan O'Reilly up front that are going to set a great example for the rest of the squad just in terms of competition on the blue line I I think they're pretty much that's who they're gonna be I don't think there's a lot of guys popping up right now from the bottom and you know Vince Dunn's not that old a player Um, but you know I've been talking to a lot of people around the league for an upcoming feature uh, just about some of the best players in the NHL and Alex Petrangelo's name keeps coming up as a guy that just does it all out there and is certain you know worth every penny that the Blues pay him had a monster playoffs and I feel like he's still kind of underrated. Like, we don't talk about Alex Petrangelo the way we do about some of the flashier NHL defensemen right now, but he's a real key guy there. And, again, I think the example he sets can help everyone around him. So it's going to be an interesting season for the Blues. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with them coming back with the same team on a a couple of levels. First of all, um, I mean, this was a team that picked itself up off the mat and and went on an incredible run. So how do you how do you tell your fan base that these are the guys that, you know, that, that that did this and then and then start making changes? Secondly, what I think is good about the Blues is they they did not fall into the and and part of this had to do when contracts come up and everything but they did not fall into the problem of rewarding a bunch of guys mm. for with great big long term contracts that are going to look really bad in four or five or three years even um, for winning you a Stanley Cup they didn't go out and do that in fact they didn't even do it you talked about Alex Pietrangelo they didn't even do it this summer with him yeah. they could have extend they could they can yeah. extend him at any point that and they want to and they could have and they they did not do that so um i I don't think they have state status quo in that respect because you you know the the a lot of times when you know we saw the kings did it with some of their guys we saw chicago did it with some of their guys they won the cup with these guys they got they caught you know a really good time in their career and then they rewarded them with long-term contracts that came back to haunt them and and st louis didn't do that yeah that's fair and it's interesting because i i do think i am more of the mind that you have to make some changes because you know the blues yes what they had what it what it took last year to win it all but if you look at the teams around them like especially dallas colorado nashville they're all scrambling to improve their teams even mm-hmm. chicago's done a lot this offseason too so theoretically the competition in their own division has gotten a lot better and they're staying the same but at the same time when you when you win the stanley cup it's really hard to look at your roster and, and decide what's missing because it was perfect it won. <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. i get i understand why it'd be hard to identify that uh so stanley cup hangover yay or nay i'm gonna say nay I'm gonna say nay. I think I think with Washington, it was they they actually were still actually physically hung literally hung over yeah. when the season started. Um, but no, I I don't think so. I think this is a team that knows 
how to pace itself, obviously. And I don't think they're going to, you know, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lot of concern if they come out of the shoot four and seven mm. or something like that. Um, but I, I don't see it being something where, you know, like, is Ryan O'Reilly really going to rest on a lot of this stuff and and not and sort of take 20 games to get cranked up? I don't I don't think so. I don't think they would do it consciously, but I, I think there very well could be a Stanley Cup hangover because you look at the short summer that they had, you know, like a guy like O'Reilly, I don't expect him to take a single shift off, mm-hmm. but, I mean, he could have some minor injuries along the way because you're coming off a short summer, a very busy summer with, you know, all the events they had, and you're going into, as we said, you know, maybe the toughest division top to bottom in the NHL right now where you're not going to get a lot of off nights. I could see that being a problem where it's more so because of the short summer and because of the division they're playing in where they lose a bunch of games early on. And yeah, it's probably not the end of the world, but I just think it's it would be so tough to repeat in the Central. It, it would just be tough to get out of the Central division two years in a row. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm of the hangover crowd as well uh, I see some similarities between the Blues and Washington because both in both cases you have a franchise that waited so long to win its first Stanley mm-hmm. Cup so you finally did and I think it in a way carries more weight than if you're a team that's won a bunch and like you know you're Chicago in 2015 oh it's our third Stanley Cup since 2010 back to it whereas I think Washington was there was a, a sense of oh my god yeah. and I think the Blues have the same thing like the city I think is still celebrating because they waited so long and if I remember correctly there are no there were no players on that Blues team that had won a cup before. I, I'm trying to remember, I don't but I'm pretty sure so. there were none, right? So. I don't think uh, so. So every guy in the team, it was his first Stanley Cup victory as well. So I, I get more of a sense that this is a bask in it and enjoy it because it's been so long. And also, the Blues can be like, hey, whatever, we can we can chill. We were in last place in January. Yeah. We, we, we know we can fight back from yeah. this. So I think yeah. they, even for that reason... They won't be scared if they start slowly, so I don't know. I think the difference to Washington and St. Louis was ex- expectation level. Washington True. was like, oh, my God, as you said, <laughs> yeah. because th- there were so many, there was so much expectation on this yeah. team. And this team this team had to win a Stanley Cup at some point yeah. in the Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom era. Um, St. Louis, there was there was no level of expectation. It's more like this a, was going to happen. Huh. Yeah, wow, this huh, is cool. St. Louis yeah, won the Cup. So yeah. I, huh. I don't, I don't know that, that that's the same in terms of comparing but yeah I mean yeah I mean you're right I mean I I don't like and I think we all agree I don't think there's going to be people who are too worried if they get out of the gate a little slower than than most other teams so we get to sixth in the central division and I I don't know I I don't know if you guys agree with me but I think there's a huge gap so it's one two three four five then uh, six (laughs) and you have Chicago and Minnesota I don't think in the playoff picture, but we'll see. We'll start with Chicago, our number six team. Uh, and we know that the Blackhawks have been very porous defensively over the past couple of years and, you know, the end of the Joel, Joel Quenville era. But Sam Bowman did do a lot on paper. He kind of brought in a lot of older veteran guys, but they're, they're guys. They're NHL players. Oli Mata, Calvin DeHaan, once he's healthy. They've made a lot of improvements on paper to this group. Um, do you think it's going to be good enough to make Chicago competitive defensively? Well, they were so bad. They were <laughs> so bad that, yeah, I mean, there will be an improvement. But I'm not sure that those guys move that needle as much as it needs to be moved. Mm. As much as it needs to be moved. They'll be better, but I think they needed to be uh, way better. Yeah. And I don't know that they're way better defensively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Olimana. 
he can get you some minutes. I think if there is an X factor, it's Adam Boakvist, who uh, apparently is not going back to the OHL's London Knights. So it's either the Blackhawks or AHL Rockford. If he can make or the Blackhawks, <laughs> yeah, or Chicago, the Blackhawks, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you said London or Rockford. Then, no. he's, then he said Blackhawks. Oh, then I said Blackhawks. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It's all right. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he could be an X Factor. They lost Yoki Haru via trade yeah. with Buffalo. I think Boakvist is probably a more dynamic, uh, slightly better Henry Yoki Haru. So a bit of an upgrade there. But uh, honestly, I, I think it's the same group. Uh, maybe even a little worse because you have to think about some of the veterans they had. Like, what's Brent Seabrook going to be like with one more calendar year on his odometer? What's Eric Gustafson going to be like now that we all know he's capable of scoring 60 points in a season? Is he going to get 60 again? (laughs) It seems kind of unlikely. Good on him if he does it again with everybody watching. But that would be my concern is that it actually backslides a little bit. Oh, did I, what, is it my turn to talk? I think so. I think so. <laughs> no, because I had already Here's said up. my piece. I had already oh, said my piece. Well, so it's funny with uh, <laughs> with Ali Mata. Uh, I have a bet in the office with senior editor Brian Costello that uh, I bet him, like when Ali Mata got drafted, that Ali Mata was the next Kimo Timonen, and Brian bet me that he was the next Aussie Vanninen. So I apparently have lost. Sorry, Ali Mata, but I've lost oh, that yeah, bet. Well, he's neither of those, though. He's neither. not in playing style, but in terms yeah. of like you know overall NHL impact, he's closer mm. to Aussie Vanninen. I don't mm, think Ali Mata Vanninen won two cups or anything like that. Yeah, but Ali Mata yeah. wasn't the the bus driver no, no, in those no, cups. No, he was not. You know, but I, I think again, he he brings depth. Uh, maybe it's like maybe Stan Bowman's playing chess and we're playing checkers because he's he's arranged his blue line in the perfect way that it, it's just bad enough that Boakvist could steal someone's job, mm. but it's not so bad that it, that it's, you know, it can't be NHL caliber. Uh, big mm-hmm. question, of course, in the crease is goaltending, or in the crease, of course. <laughs> big question for the Blackhawks is in net, and it's Robin Leonard, it's Corey Crawford. Robin Leonard's getting $5 million. That's not backup money, but it's a one-year deal. Corey Crawford, major health problems. I personally have no idea how this crease is going to shake out. Um, but let's start with Lehner. Do you think? Do you think? My theory is that this is an audition for Lehner. The yeah. Hawks know yeah. that Crawford's expiring, and they're giving Lehner a chance. Maybe he's going to play forty games, but he's going to have a chance to win the long-term job. Well, what, do you, what do you think? Do you think they would have gone out and signed him in for five million dollars if they had any confidence that Corey Crawford was going to be healthy enough to play yeah. this season? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't think so. I th- that one. That's one that tells me that they know more about Corey Crawford than they're saying, and that we know. Because, I mean, otherwise it doesn't really make sense, does it? You know? I mean, Corey Crawford, regardless of his current health status, I think we're seeing the, you know, the twilight years of his NHL career right, right. now. So right. maybe it is a bit of long-term planning where they say, okay, well, we had a great run with Crawford. He can still be helpful this season if he is healthy. And, and even if he's not, he can just give us some starts. That gives Robin Lehner enough runway to prove once again. I don't even know why he has to prove himself. Yeah, honestly, he I was mean, best he in a so, finalist. He played okay. amazing for the Islanders. But he doesn't, though. He doesn't have to prove himself. Really. Well, I mean, a, a contract that short. I mean, unless that was his choice, but I don't think it was. No. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll give you. So that. In, in that, yeah, in that regard, I, I think that Robin Lehner can make his case where his next contract is for five years, uh, and and that would obviously be great for all involved. 
Chicago, you know, they do have a, a pretty good goalie prospect in Alex Gravel coming up, but he's not ready yet. He won't be ready for at least several more years. Um, I think Laner could be the perfect guy for them for the yeah. next five years, yeah. and, and this is the, the season to prove it. And if you look at their goaltending as a whole, I think the sum of the parts of Laner and Crawford should be good goaltending. Maybe yeah. not elite, yeah. but I think good. And we know that Leonard, he functioned very well in a hybrid system last year, splitting time with Thomas Grice. And, and it's I guess it's an insurance policy. So I, I think if you look at it that way, you know, this is the Chicago team that did come on in the second half of the year and kind of flirted with the playoff periphery and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know didn't couldn't count on Corey Crawford for much of the season. And now all of a sudden you have somebody reliable in net between the two of them, probably for all 82 games, right? So um, a big component of last year, of course, that made Chicago, I think that really accelerated their rebuild and brightened their future is the Dylan Strome breakout because you have him reunited with his old junior teammate, Alex Dabrinkit. Strome suddenly busts out to become that puck distributor and legitimate scoring line center he was always supposed to be when he was picked third overall in 2015. So do we think that that problem, so long-term scoring depth, is solved? And is Dylan Strome kind of... Is he the future? Is he, is he Chicago's long-term number one center? Or maybe it's maybe it's Kirby Doc? Mm. Well, I mean, having seen Kirby Doc a couple of times this summer, he could very well be that guy. And I think Chicago will have a very fun problem on their hands because I do think Dylan Strome is starting to embrace his destiny. And, you know, I go back to the years where he was still a prospect and we always knew he was going to take longer to develop than, say, Connor McDavid. Now, obviously, Connor McDavid was a phenom, but Connor McDavid is also, you know, six foot one, you know, tremendous skater. Whereas Dylan Strome is a different kind of beast. He's a big guy. He had to work on his skating. We knew he had to get stronger and fill out. And now we're starting to see the beginnings of that sort of ideal Dylan Strome. And I, I always look to guys like Joe Thornton and Vincent LeCavalier, where their NHL careers got off to, mm. you know, auspicious starts. Yeah. But eventually they became those number one guys that we always thought they would be. I think Dylan Strome is on that path now where he has found a good home in Chicago. He has line mates that he found chemistry with and had chemistry with in the past when we're talking about Debrinket. And there's a comfort level there. And he's still got Jonathan Taves ahead of him right now, so he doesn't have to be rushed. You know, it's been a slow progression for Strom in the NHL, but I think he's there. And uh, it's great because, I mean, he's a super nice kid, and obviously, you know, he was very patient, and he knew what he needed to do. Uh, I I know I've spoken to him in the past where he said, you know, I don't want to be in the NHL for two years. I want to be in the NHL for 15 years. And, you know, if it takes a while to get there, that's fine. Like he wants to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. And I think we're starting to see that pay off. It's it's interesting because I I think Dylan Strom is is developing into a very nice 1B or number 2 center. I'm not sure that he's a number 1 center on a on a contending team. Um it's 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 weird because he had a chance to be a good bad team player in Arizona and wasn't and then he went to Chicago and he was a good bad team player. Right. You know, and 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 I I I I always kind of think about that when I'm thinking about guys cuz somebody's got to get the points, somebody's got to get the ice time, somebody He's got to get the opportunity. What he needs to do now is a couple of things. Is he needs to prove that he can be a good player when when things 
are important. So if if the if the Blackhawks are, you know, the last fifteen games of the year are looking at a playoff spot or or, or contending for one a couple points out or whatever, that's where Dylan Strome has to be productive. And secondly, I I want to see him pull a John Tavares. I want to see him be a guy that wasn't a great skater who mm. at least made himself. An average skater, right? And, and 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 that can be done. That can be done. I yep. mean, Tavares did it, and now nobody talks about John Tavares skating anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. We're still talking about Dylan Strom skating, and I think he's got room to improve, and he could, and should, and has to. Next up, we have the bottom of the Central Division, and you know, I always like to say that the teams to me that are furthest from the Stanley Cup aren't the worst teams in the league. It's the teams that are in the middle and don't know that they have no chance and are in denial because they have to fully bottom out mm. and then and then rebuild and rise up. And that takes us to the Minnesota Wild, the team that's got so many veterans. They just locked up Jared Spurgeon until he's 38 years old, more than seven million dollars a year. I don't I don't see the I don't see the vision here. It looks like they're just going to stay in the murky middle. But let's start talking about them with their their offense. This is a team that you know you had that explosion from Eric Stahl a couple years ago where he had that 42 goal season. But if, for the most part, this team hasn't had an elite goal scorer since Marion Gabrick, arguably. Uh, do you think this team, after signing Matt Zuccarello uh, for his 30s, is going to have enough offense to be competitive? Nah. No. Nah. I mean, somebody's going <laughs> to score. They probably have a bunch of 20-goal scorers on this team. I mean, it's it's going to be a long road out of hell for Minnesota. And if you're going to take positives from the upcoming season, it would be if you could get Kevin Fiala to break out offensively. If you can get Ryan Donato to break out offensively. These are the young guys that represent some sort of future you know what can Jordan Greenway do can Joel Erickson Eck put together a legit NHL season and live up to the somewhat hype that we had for him a few years ago where he looked like he was going to be an incredible two-way center those are the questions for me is can you get anything out of what you have right now? Because you only have so many roster spots available because of those veteran contracts. And, I mean, Zach is a pro. He's a pretty good NHLer. But you can't count on him or Koivu or even Eric Stahl at this point oh, to no. be big no. drivers in the NHL. They need to be support players, at least when it comes to numbers. And I don't, I don't see anybody stepping up right now. If somebody does step up... That would be awesome. Yeah, there's too many second liners and bottom six forwards on this team and not enough true top three or top six Mm -hmm. forwards, I think, for sure. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe in our pool book, in in our pool guide this year, we have projected Matt Dumba to be their leading scorer. Yeah, at least in goals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. So, yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, it could yeah. maybe points too. You know, I, I mean, yeah. J- Jason Zucker. I mean, you know, I mean, there was very serious talk about him being traded this summer. I think that'll be an ongoing issue. You know, that's another guy that you know can give you a fifty to fifty-five point season who may not be around. Um, yeah, this this is there's going to be some. There's going to be some really, really, like, there's going to be 2-1 games, and there's going to be really, like, turgid kind of not great games to watch, Mm -hmm. I think, for a lot of Minnesota Wild fans this year. I think so. And do you guys think, speaking of Dumba, is this the year that we see him mature into the featured number one and kind of take the torch from Ryan Suter? I know Suter's been a freak of nature. His his surgery that he had last year on his his footer's ankle... 
forget what it was now, but it was very serious. It, it was, was career threatening. It was, yeah. Uh, and Dumba's a guy who can't stay healthy. So it's kind of ironic. The young guy can't stay healthy, and Suter suddenly comes back and is an Iron Man again somehow. Mm. It seems like he's never going to age. But I assume at some point Dumba's going to be the man. Do you think that's going to happen this year? I think it will in terms of numbers. Uh, the thing is, like Suter is still one of the top Minutemen in the NHL. Like him and Drew Doughty were the big minute guys last year. They were both uh, at 26 minutes. And you're right. I mean, Ryan Suter is just a freak of nature when it comes to logging all that time. But I do think that Matt Dumba, because there's not a ton of competition outside of Jared Spurgeon on that team, Matt Dumba is going to get a lot of opportunities. And Matt Dumba has the skating and he has the scoring ability to really put a stamp on this organization. And that's obviously something Minnesota needs. They need a guy to sort of break through to another level. And I think Dumba has that capability. And as you said, you know, like if it wasn't for injury, we probably would have been having this conversation a bit earlier. But Dumba has all the tools necessary to be that top flight NHL defenseman and to put himself... I don't know about the Norris conversation right now, but... Maybe Norris adjacent? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that second tier of like a guy who really gets like a guess? couple votes from some random like beat reporter and people are looking at the results like, well, oh my God, somebody put Matt number second for the Norris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's always yeah. a couple of those yeah. guys yeah. or gals. Yeah. Um, I think a couple of things. Uh, if, if Ryan Suter is not p- playing between 25 and 30 minutes this year, a game, it, it won't be his choice. Right. I, I think, I think Brian Suter is, Ryan Suter is one of those guys that thinks he can do it and will be able to do it and ins- will insist on doing it. At some point, that's either going to have to that's either going to have to turn into a disappointment for Ryan Suter, or it's going to be a bad situation in Minnesota because mm. they're going to hold back the development of some other players. As far as D- Matt Dumba is concerned, I think what you want to see from him is less. Like more steady play and less, less of the like great stuff and bad stuff. Right. Sometimes on the same shift. Yeah. Like here's a guy who last year went and got into a fight with Matthew Kachuk. Mm. Not a smart thing to do at the best of times. Gets <laughs> right. punched. Gets peed off. Takes a massive hate. Goes for a massive haymaker. Pulls a pectoral muscle and misses 52 games. Yeah. I mean that's. That's you want to see better decision making in that respect. This guy's like a this guy's like a wild stallion, right? So you want to see you don't want to take away his personality, you don't want to yeah. take away what makes him good, but I think what you want to do is see more texture in his game, and I think when and if that comes, that's when he starts to move up. And and who did he idolize? Dion Phaneuf. Yeah, it's the exact archetype, right? Exactly. You know, I've already gone on record, record being fairly critical of the Jared Spurgeon extension because to me, it, there was a big opportunity for Bill Guerin to come in with a clean slate and you put Spurgeon, who would be so valuable at the trade deadline, he's an expiring contract, you could have gotten a first rounder and a good prospect for him and then it's like, boom, okay, we're restarting, we're looking toward the future. Now you've got him locked up and, and again, like it's yet another mixed signal sent from the wild front office. Mm. I thought that was going to change with, with the Chuck Fletcher era and the Paul Fenton era over, but here we go again. Now you got another veteran tied up long, long, long term that's going to be eventually crippling to your cap when Jared Spurgeon's 
38 years old in the last year of his deal. So mm. what do you think the Wilds' vision is right now? And do, do you think that if they're out of contention, will they try to sell off parts? Or do you think we're still in the same boat and this team yeah. just doesn't know what it wants to be? Well, I, I think they know what they want to be, but I don't think – I think they're – they're in delusion, you know. They're in they're in denial a little bit of what they are, and and that that can cripple you. You know, we've yeah. seen teams do that. We've seen teams try to stay in the hunt, you know, get in the playoffs. And this is why I'm so down on this whole just get in, yeah, right. anything can happen. Yeah. No. Just get in, anything can happen. That happens once in a blue moon. It that's not that. It's still the exception that that yeah. happens, not the rule. So just getting in and and then just missing a bunch of years can be crippling. And and boy, it looks like this is a team and a roster and an organization that is on that path. And part of it, I think, is expectation. Part of it, I think, is the market. Like, that's a that's a market. That's a hockey market. That's mm. a, you know, where people know. Like, they're not stupid in Minnesota. They're very smart, you know, hockey fans who know the game. And, and so th- will they put up with a rebuild? Well, maybe. Maybe not, though. And maybe that's the thinking. But, but it's really, they're in that... That mushy middle, totally, which is yeah. really not the best place to be. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't have any insider info here, but I wonder if there is a mentality there where they think, well, we have to be good because otherwise people are going to watch high school hockey. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they'd rather watch a Dina or Lakeville or the, North or the, or the U or yeah, 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 or they'd watch college hockey because Minnesota Duluth has won the past two championships and people are yeah. still huge Gophers fans, yeah. you know, in the southern part of the state. Maybe that's the mentality, but it's it's interesting because I was talking to Brad Bombardier, the director of player development of the Minnesota Wild in Traverse City last week, and you know, he was saying that they do. They know they need to get more draft picks because the past few years they've given away some because they were in the mix. You know, they were making the playoffs. They thought they could maybe make a run in some of these years, and so they didn't have as many draft picks as as they needed. So now they need to be moving in the other direction. So it'll be interesting to see under Bill Guerin. Are they going to do that? Are we going to see Minnesota with like nine picks this summer? Because right now they're actually down to six already because they made a trade at last year's draft to get a third rounder and they used it on Adam Beckman, which I thought was a really great pick. But having said that, right now they do not have a third round pick Hmm. in 2020. So they got six picks right now. They need more picks because they have some good prospects but they need more. I mean, their team in Traverse City was the worst there by far. Wow. Uh, yeah. Only team out of eight not to win a game. When are we going to see Kirill Kaprizov? When are we going to see those guys? Never. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I no, mean, no, Kaprizov's no. under contract, I think, for... I think it's only one more season. I think it's like yeah, one yeah, more season, yeah. but I feel like I've been saying that forever. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, if he came over, then it changes things. you got Matthew Boldy, who's NCAA, so you're going to want him at Boston College for at least two years. You know, uh, Jack McBain's NCAA, you're going to want him at Boston College for at least another two years. Philip Johansson is still developing in Sweden. He needs more time. And then, of course, you have Kaprasov. And then Alexander Kavanov, who uh, actually just had surgery on his leg. So he would have been at Traverse City, but he's not. But he needs more time to develop. So they just don't have a big active pool right now to draw wow. from. Wow. So it's going to take a long time. Mm-hmm. 
And if you look at the cautionary tale, I see two models. The cautionary tale is what happened to Detroit when, and I, I said this to Ken Holland, I don't think he loved the question. I was like, is this 25-year playoff streak a curse because it's forcing you to lurch along the bubble? But that's what happened to Detroit. You were stuck in the murky middle forever, always thinking you had a chance, whereas look what the New York Rangers have done in the span of just a couple years when they looked yeah. in the mirror and said, I could look at the camera we suck. Yeah. And when and when they did that now it's like they got one of the best farm systems if not the best prospect crop in the entire league. They're right yeah. there just from changing their thinking, right? Like finally realizing what they are, but I think what's what the problem is with, with Minnesota is if you look at the last three Stanley Cup finals. 2017, the number 16 overall seed made it to the final. 2018, the expansion team made it to the final. 2019, the last place January team made it to the final. So there is that intoxicating, like, oh my God, dare to dream. And maybe the wild right. thing, well, why not us this year? It could be us. Yeah. And I think that it, it's dangerous, like you said, Ken. Yeah. You can suck in a team. And people forget it's a revisionist history. All the Blues were this inspiring story. The Blues also went crazy making some wild moves that previous offseason. They got aggressive to get better, right? And so. they were also huge underachievers. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and that's the difference. I mean, you could see it with St. Louis. Like, it's it's not unfathomable with St. Louis. Yeah. With this group, trust me, it's unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we picked the Blues to be good in the preseason last year. Yeah. yeah. The Wild, not so much. Sorry, Minnesota. We'll see what happens. You just never know. And that concludes the Central Division Preview Podcast. Next week, we'll be doing the Metro Division. Thank you for listening, everybody.